Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. I am Sykes and this is my podcast. Now before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out the last episode with MC, promoter, organizer, get it Dunner, Pittsburgh's very own Reason. If you're one of the people who listened to that conversation, I hope you enjoyed it and thanks so much for coming back. But for everyone out there who is new to the show, welcome. Please feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. Now today on the show, we got my longtime homie Joe Boots on the show. And for those of you who don't know him, he is a dude that has lived many different lives. And that's kind of what we're going to get into today. I met Joe about on the better part of almost a decade ago when he was emceeing and a part of the local hip-hop community here in Pittsburgh. But he had several chapters in his life before that and stuff that's happened afterwards that I just wanted to talk to him about. He's a real interesting dude, real awesome spirit, really uh, just a fun guy to talk to, to sit down with for an hour and shoot the shit. So if you're a friend of Joe, I think you're going to enjoy this. If you never met him before, don't know who the hell he is, I think you're going to like this conversation still. It's a good story. Good dude with a good story. That's all I have to say about that. Before we get into the conversation, I do have a few self-promotional type of things I do got to talk about because this is the internet and that's how it works. If you are new to the show or new to me in general, you could find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at The Real Sykes. On Facebook, the podcast also has a page of its own, which you can find and like if you choose to do so. Just go to your little search bar on Facebook, type in Start the Beat, it'll pop up. And you could do the same exact thing on iTunes. If you're someone who's a hardcore podcaster and you subscribe to shit, you're into weekly updates, because I post pretty much every week, you could subscribe. Stay up to date with what I'm doing, catch up with past episodes, there's almost a hundred of them now, which is fucking crazy. You could also rate and review the show, that would be a great help. And last but certainly not least, Start the Beat is part of the Epicast family, which you can learn all about at epicastnetwork.com. So, without any further ado, how about we get into my conversation with Joe Boots? Sit back, relax, and let's start the motherfucking beat! and set up and good to go cool we're good so yeah i ain't seen you with a with a microphone in your hand in some time yeah it's been uh <laughs> it's been a, it's been a few years now like probably close to i want i don't i want to say a decade but probably it like hasn't been that seven long years yeah maybe. that's probably about it so i was like i was thinking earlier today like where am i going to start this conversation with you and it's like well how did i meet you and that was through like 
the local rap scene. That was like you were rapping. You and were then, rapping. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm still rapping. We, we were rap- <laughs> we, we were rapping, dude. Yeah, and that was definitely like 2008, 2009, the like HCon era. HCon was like, uh, like Com- I feel like 2008 was like yeah. when that landed. It was like falling out. Yeah, yeah and so. Uh, and and from the HCon hookah series, uh, that's where I met you. Yeah, you know, got to shout out Basic Sickness for that because I, I really feel like he, he 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 had that thing, and uh, all of the let's say outcast rappers uh, in Pittsburgh because at that time it was like real like if you weren't like a gangster rapper, no one really was paying attention. Nah. So like outside rappers, let's say uh, white rappers, rappers that had like. You know, uh, backgrounds in bands, you know, like with live music and stuff. It's just a little bit of a different thing. So we'll just call it Outcast Rappers, man. <laughs> Basic Sickness had this hip hop series over there and it was like super good. And, and we met each other there and I uh, met a lot of other great people who I still keep in contact with today. You know, like I don't really know much about like the new Pittsburgh hip hop scene, but. You know, it was it was really cracking back then. <laughs> yeah, it was a ton of fun. And, you know, it's like I was thinking about, like, what else you've done that I've known that you've done. It's like you're someone that's, like, lived several lives, it yeah. seems, you know, yeah, you could in say all that. kinds of different aspects. So I guess, like, we can kind of, like, take it, like, back to, like, maybe, like, middle school, high school type you. Okay. Like, what was, like, the first thing that you really gravitated towards, like... Like your first passion, like hobby or anything like that? Well, uh, I was a BMX rider. I rode BMX bikes. Uh, you know, me and all my friends had a crew. we built dirt jumps in the woods and, uh, you know, spend all of our days like just riding around, doing tricks, trying to impress girls. I was always <laughs> trying to smoke cigarettes and drink beer, but like all my friends like <laughs> were like not really with that at the time. Um, but then once everybody got into high school, it all kind of changed and uh, everybody was really into partying and stuff. But, uh, um, the BMX stuff kind of ended whenever I, uh, I, I, I was at this jam and I hit this jump going way too fast and I don't really remember even like jumping the jump, but I woke up in the hospital, like had like a concussion and broke a collarbone and my humerus bone and like tore my ear almost like off and, uh, so i i kind of stopped riding bmx bikes after that it was just like a little too um i didn't know if it was worth it you know it's hard to get back into it when you have a hard fall like that the Ugh. same shit happened with me and skating i like had a double compound fracture on my arm looking like the letter z and shit <laughs> it was so fucked up and after yeah. that it was like i could still ride around but like trying to do anything do may do tricks that could possibly have something yeah. like that as an nah, outcome it, nah i'm cool nah especially <laughs> when i was like i was still so young and it was just like fuck yeah. it yeah i ended up like that's when i like started getting into like drawing and music way more heavy was after that yeah i would say the musical transition happened for me right pretty shortly thereafter i mean i had a drum set like while i was in middle school and like i kind of played drums and stuff and me and my friends had like a little thing we would jam what were you a into like bit, punk but... and shit oh uh, yeah I, I'm, as I, I know that you have a punk background yeah yeah that was when the, the punk rock came into my life whenever i was in um, middle school i had a friend named mcgreve and his dad was so fucking cool <laughs> he uh he rode a motorcycle and he played guitar and it, he was just cool as fuck man and uh he put us onto a lot of really great music. Uh, I stayed over his house like the first time we had like a sleepover. I was in like sixth grade, and uh, his dad was like, 
oh, you got, oh, you boys done, you know, with dinner or whatever. Well, here, I got a CD for you guys to check out. And he gave us uh, the Ramones Loco Live. I was like, what is this, dude? <laughs> it was like smoke was coming out of my ears. I was sure. like, just like, dude, I never heard something so raw before. And, uh, and so... You know, the Ramones, that kind of started it, and uh, he was real into the Sex Pistols and some other, like, guitar rock that I, I didn't even really f- fuck with when I was in middle school, but he put us on to T-Rex and Yes and Cream and uh, all this, uh, all the Stevie Ray Vaughan, all these, like, guitar gods. Yeah. And at the time, I was, like, gravitated towards, like, the yeah, let's break something. Let's do it as fast as we can. Let's do it as loud as we can. Sure. You know? And, but, uh, like... You know, so punk rock, that was where it that was where it came into my life. And uh, you know, so whenever I got into a band in high school, it was like, let's start a punk band. Mm-hmm. And you were playing drums? <laughs> I was playing drums, yeah. Not very good. <laughs> That's you don't need to be that good. No, it's no. gotta be fast. Luckily, yeah, luckily <laughs> it was a genre that the skill wasn't uh, really you know, <laughs> the forefront. Yeah. Um but uh, you know, that that lasted all through high school, you know, and that band, it wasn't, like, g- really great or anything, you know, but we, we wrote songs, we played shows, we got with some other local bands, and it, it really... Shit to do. It started, it started opening my eyes to the whole way that it all kind of works, like, the way that a local scene can work whenever there's people doing stuff, and each band is kind of throwing their own shows and, like, putting other bands on, and then other bands are throwing shows and putting those bands on. It was, like, a really eye-opening experience yeah. at a young age for me. I think a lot of people that are performing today didn't get that experience, and it shows. Sure. You know, people rely on other people a lot more than they need to in a lot of regards. I mean, and I'm not talking about anyone in particular here. This is just like an in general, (laughs) yeah. you know, an in general, Uh like, observation. You know, every, every act has the ability to throw their own showcase. They just have to have the guts to do it to put their neck on the line to reach out to owners of venues or bars where a venue might be a possibility shout out basic sickness yeah gone because that shit was not a venue at first no not even close but it turned into something really great you know yeah i think that a lot of people obviously just want shit handed to them and that a lot of that i think too is like the instant gratification of the social media age where like i gotta post something i want people to like it right away give me this 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 like without really working for anything yeah it's so much easier to be in a fucking band now you know you can record you can record music on a cell phone that like sounds good (laughs) yeah and make files of it and share it with people without ever having to make a cd yeah on the same device you could take your goddamn promo pictures on that cell phone yeah Good to go. And they're they're they're. I'm, I'm can, like I'm not gonna say they're just as good as like a professional but photographer. It's good but enough. Good enough for what it we're works. doing here. Yeah. Like I mean, like the quality is what we probably would have went out of our way for. You know, a decade ago. Yeah, really. More. We spent our whole budget on on f- photography or something. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like, oh well, everyone's phone is a <laughs> camera, a professional camera. It's fucked up. So you were doing the punk thing for a while, and then like. It seems like there's this bridge more often than not between punk and hip hop when it comes to the weirdos in the hip hop community. They always come from this punk rock background or or or, or some sort of uh, 
outcast subculture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, other types of like hardcore or like metal even or, Mm -hmm. you know, because the Juggalos, like they have that too, where it's like all the people that are like into Insane Clown Posse, like they almost all gravitate towards hip hop at some point, you know, because that's kind of part of it anyway. Like they were almost bridging that gap a long time ago. Yeah. But, uh, you know, to be honest with you, when I was a punk rocker, I, uh, I stood out. I went. I I graduated from Carrick High School in 2002, and whenever I started going to Carrick, I was into punk rock, but I wasn't really a punk rocker because I was like 14 years old. So, like, you know, what do you do? You know, there's only so many pairs uh, safety pins you can put through your pants or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know. So, uh, but I went to high school. When I started going to high school, there was a there was a punk rocker there, man. His name's Dustin, and this dude had a mohawk and like leopard print hair dye on one side of the mohawk and like blue on the other and it was like a green mohawk and he had all these studs on his leather jacket and all these patches and a butt flap and like plaid patches and his ripped up jeans that were all tight as heck big combat boots i mean this dude was like a comic book punk rocker you know yeah and uh we immediately became friends, you know. He and he was a little older than me, and kind of didn't want anything to do with me around at first, you know, because I was like kind of just bugging the shit out of him. Like, where'd you get that? What'd you do? How'd you do that? What's that? Whoa, whoa, that's so cool. What band is that? Where are they from? You know, just like asking him a million questions, bugging the shit out of him. But we eventually became really good friends, and uh, you know, um, he showed me a lot, a lot of different stuff, and opened my eyes to a lot of different, like authentic punk rock culture um took me to took me to stores that he went to that i wouldn't have known about otherwise you know we used to cut school together and he'd take me on the bus over to oakland oh yeah that wasn't really something that i'd been doing before i met him but he had gone to school in oakland before he went to carrick so he was like really familiar with the whole you know inner city energy you know oakland was awesome back then Oh man, I know Club Laga, dude. Yeah, Club Laga. It was like it was it was it was important. If you're a punk rocker from Pittsburgh, and you and you weren't a punk rocker in your teenage years, and you didn't go to Club Laga, I'm sorry to say, but you weren't a punk rocker when it mattered. <laughs> because it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, you know, this is all just bought and sold. Now it's all fashion. You go to the mall. It's like you know, like I'm saying, like this was like. I wanted to get this stuff. I had to get somebody to take me on a bus to go somewhere to find this thing in this little shit store in like the second floor of like yeah. above some Chinese restaurant. Was that like or fucking something. like Angry Young and Poor or something like Angry that? Angry Young and Poor was one of the places we would go to, and then there was uh, from the Beyond. Yeah, when from they the Beyond. Opened. That was the other place. Yeah. Shout out Cheese down in Florida, <laughs> probably still screen printing T-shirts. That dude's the man. <laughs> yeah, you know, but these and these type of individuals too, Cheese and and some of these guys like the guy who who got Ides down in the strip district some of these older guys you know they kind of like were almost like like kind of like showed us a little bit then like oh there's there's longevity in this like you you don't this doesn't have to be just a fad it could just it could be like a longevity thing you know so um you know like a, a lifestyle and 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 we we took to that man and uh i was an outcast in carrick and like you know i used to get chased down the street and you know, kids throwing bottles at me and shit, and I got jumped a few times, like, just because of how I looked, and nothing really, like, too major, you know, but it was just, I felt like I was always getting shit for standing out and for being different, and uh, I didn't really care. I never cared, but um, 
I was dating this girl in the punk scene, and we had a really bad breakup, and she, like, uh, you know, was just, like, I felt like she was ruining my life, like killing me, you know, but I was you know, 15 years old, <laughs> yeah. 16 years old, so yeah. cl- clearly it's not I, as bad as it as it felt at the time. I, I, I was there too. <laughs> I had that. But I, that that's what kind of, I was like, oh man, I don't even want to be in the punk scene anymore because I felt like she was like really in the scene and like everybody knew her and everybody loved her and she was like really cute and really loud and fun and like, you know, like she dominated everywhere we went and I felt like I couldn't like get from under this like you know if i'm in the shadow yeah if i'm in the scene i'm with her or i'm against her and i didn't really want either you know like i felt like it was like i gotta just get the hell out of here so one of the guys in my band was into rap and uh hip-hop and he'd he'd kind of been like the whole time we'd been in this band he was like putting me on to different rap music and stuff so you know, it wasn't like I was unfamiliar with rap and unfamiliar with hip-hop. I mean, I'm a kid from the 90s, like Snoop Dogg, Dr. Yeah. Dre. I'm a white <laughs> kid from the 90s. I was into Dr. Yeah. Dre and Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yeah. I was into rap music oh. as it was fed to me via MTV. Oh yeah. I have no idea. I had no idea that Tupac was such a revolutionary because the Tupac that I was served, as I'm sure you were, was the Thug Life Tupac, was the was only the money Tupac. It only was the, you know, they never showed white America the real Tupac. So for up until really recently, I've been like, I don't really fuck with Tupac. Like that, like thug life, that like money life, that like, you know, whatever. I I can't get, I can't, I never could get down with it. You know, I felt like Biggie was like more like a party. And and I like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a party dude, so I, I always was like, I fuck with Biggie. I fuck with Biggie style over this like West Coast like gangster or whatever. But I had no idea, just no idea. And I'm I'm kind of ashamed for all the times that I've said I didn't fuck with Tupac because for <laughs> real, he's the shit, and his message is real as fuck, and it's just as relevant as to today as it as it was when you know he was coming out with this. If not even more relevant because it's just been shit storm brewing since. Yeah. But uh, that's a little off track. No, nah, that's cool. But. Uh, so, and I was writing, I was writing graffiti. I think I can talk about this because I got arrested and, and I haven't done it since. Uh, but uh, well, I, I mean, was, you were in graffiti, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I was writing graffiti. You know, yeah. in high school was that, and that was when you were even in the punk shit. It was when I was in the punk rock. How yeah. did you get into the graffiti shit? Did you have friends that wrote, or was that just like, well, wh- this looks cool, like going into Oakland, seeing shit, being like, yeah. Well, you know what? That that was where a lot of it got turned on from. That like. Like it, it, seeing like actual like pieces up in person was like whoa. But I'm from I'm from Southside and we've always had like graffiti down there too. So and it's and and Carrick it's always been like gang like Carrick graffiti. Yeah. So it's always been something that I've I've always seen the writing on the walls. I've always paid attention to it. So it's like you know inevitable that I was drawn to to writing when I was in high school. So, but I wrote and. uh I wrote with uh, an infamous writer but that goes by the name of Mook, and he was really into hip-hop, like really, really into hip-hop, not rap music, like real hip-hop, breakdancing, sure. graffiti, battle rapping, DJing, you know what I mean? This dude this dude really loved that shit, and, and it was because of the store Time Bomb, and he Mook took me to Time Bomb. And it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Major eye-opening experience that this whole other culture, you know, all about art, all about graffiti, like very colorful and like real funky, real like, you know, it was like just something different. 
So me and Mook were hanging out writing, and when we'd come back uh, from, like, these missions or whatever, he'd be playing all this uh, these hip-hop mixtapes that he got from Time Bomb, and one in particular that stands out that was, like, a changing moment for me was uh, DJ Big John Stud. I can't remember the name of the mixtape, but it had, like, it, the CD cover had all these girls in bikinis on it, <laughs> and... Uh, it was the tightest shit I ever heard in my life because it was only one track, you know, and it was like just all like blended together. Yeah. yeah, it was like the first time that I ever really, like, really heard something like that. I've heard little cuts and just you know scratches here and there and songs, but the way that this was blended together, the way he used other acapellas over top of other beats, and you know would double them up and speed the patterns and you know speed it up, change the tempo, change the pitch, and all this. I was like, my mind was blown, like, whoa, 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 this is, like, so technical and, and interesting. It was, like, just pulling you in. And it was right at the time I had that breakup with that girlfriend. It was right at the time that my bandmate was, like, putting me on the other rap music. Okay, a lot yeah, of Wu-Tang perfect stuff. storm of shit. It really was. And so it was, like... I was like, okay, I'm done with being a punk rocker. I'm done with standing out. I want to fit in. I just want to blend in. I don't even. I didn't care as much about fitting in. I just wanted to blend in. I was tired of standing out. So the rest of my school was like made up a bunch of you know bunch of like, I don't know for lack of a better word, uh, uh, like I don't even know, dude. <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of shitheads that are all on drugs now. And not all of them, but there's a lot of fucking people from Carrick that I went so to high you just, school with on So, drugs. like, you were still in high school and all this is going on. So you start hanging out with, like, a new friend group. Yeah, yeah. And just people that are into some... Into some different some shit. Some different shit. I gotcha. Yeah. So, and then and then they, one thing led to another, and I'm, like, wearing woo-wear and, you know, baggy <laughs> jeans. And, you know, I mean, this is the late 90s, early 2000s. And, like, Air Force Ones and, like, fitted hats. And we had some girl that was, like, a connect at some store. And we, like, got a bunch of fitted hats for super cheap. And then you're in it. You're fitting in. Dude, totally transitioned. And you know what a lot of these assholes from Carrick had to say? You know, we used to like Joe, which is a lie because they never did. But we used to like Joe until he changed to be like everybody else. We liked him when he didn't when he didn't fit in. <laughs> now we don't like him because he's because he's just trying to fit in. So I'm like, I can't Fuck, fucking win. Now you're standing out even more yeah, in a weird way. I, yeah, for real, I can't fucking win. So you know that lasted for a little while, but he, even the uh, it started to change. You know, like I went to the military, and I'm really glad that I like got so into hip hop and and learned so much about the culture and was like. And by that point, I was rapping. Like, after high school, I joined the military. Okay, yeah. And by that time, I was rapping. And thank God, because the military is designed for poor and, like, low-class cl- low citizens. It's not really designed for, like, you know... Uh, prep for, kids. For pre- yeah, for prep school kids. Yeah. So there's a like a major urban element in the uh, in the military, and when I say urban, just like whenever anyone else says it, I do mean black, and uh, it's something that I wasn't, you know, I, it didn't bother me in the least bit. I mean, it, it was just something that I guess I I recognize, and there was a lot of white people that uh, that was in basic training and stuff with me that were kind of like not necessarily ignorant but you could see that like they didn't they hung out with the other white guys they didn't really they didn't really like mix it up at all 
You know, it was really sure. like it's it's segregated in the military, man. I mean, it's fucked up to say, but it it kind of is. But I I chopped it up with all the black dudes, all the Puerto Rican dudes, all the Asian dudes, you know, like and the white dudes, you know. I chopped it up with everybody and I I was able to, you know, I was authentic. I was authentic about my uh you know, shared experiences with uh with all the guys there you know because you know i uh i understood the culture a little bit so thank god that happened it made that made that whole situation you know had i not gotten into hip-hop and i had i been like no, still like punk, punk rock, rock. i'm a punk rocker i don't i don't listen to i don't Authority. listen to rap. yeah i don't listen to <laughs> rap music i don't listen to anything yeah you know i listen to what i listen to and fuck everything else you know that would could have been a really you know, some button That's heads. Probably not the right attitude for that environment. No, it, you know what? I've learned it's not the right attitude for any environment. <laughs> there you go. For real. <laughs> so, how long were you in the military then? Uh, I was in for six years. Wow. I did. Uh, I was in the National Guard, so I didn't. I wasn't. I, you know, I was stationed here in Pittsburgh, uh, in Washington County, a bunch of good old boys up there, and. uh and they got there was a unit from Philadelphia, like from the inner city of Philadelphia, that needed some vol needed some uh some I guess volunteers or they needed like slots filled. So they were like, Oh well, Mert, you're gone. And I'm like, Okay okay, you know? And they're like, It's a unit from Philadelphia, you'll fit right in. AKA because I was into hip hop. This is a black, pretty much black and Puerto Rican yeah. unit. And it's like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I, you know, looking back on this now, I, I wish I would have been a little more vocal to these assholes. But whenever you're in the military and there's like people in charge of you, they got you by the balls for real. And, uh, you know, there's, yeah. there's really nothing. <laughs> so did you end up going then? Uh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I went to Iraq. Oh, and, wow. And uh, I went with this unit from Philly. And sure enough, it was like 90% uh, black and Puerto Rican. And I got along great with almost everybody in the whole unit. I mean, it was like one of the best experiences, you know, minus the war and like the the heat and the like explosions and the death around every corner. It was a really great experience for me, you know, because I got to I got to to really make like become very, very, very good friends with some guys that maybe uh, in another situation I might not have been able to get so close to. Yeah. You know, uh, like some Puerto Rican guys. Dude, we're from Pittsburgh. There's no Puerto Ricans here. If they are, we just think they're Mexican. Because <laughs> that's like what fucking fucked up white people do. <laughs> we just lump shit together it's like it's okay. It's not okay. But we just don't know, you know? So, you know. But, uh... <laughs> regardless you know that was a that was a good experience you know the 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 friendships that i gained the brotherhoods that i've gained from it but uh you know the war experience is is terrible war's not the answer and like most veterans that come home uh you know i'm a pacifist now i'm not i'm i i'm not interested in fighting for really much of anything I mean, I'll fight for my loved ones if necessary, but damn, I hope I'm never in that such, never put in that situation. Yeah. You know, absolutely. But uh, so, whenever you got back, that was that probably what time? What what year was that then? Was that that was uh 2005? Okay. So that was so while I was gone, my buddy that I was in my in a band with, 
when I'd started rapping in high school, that's who I'd started rapping with. His name's Chubbs. He still makes beats. He was in Priceless, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so he was making he was he was uh making beats like on Fruity Loops, like you know, and then we were like rapping and freestyling like for fun or whatever. And uh, and then when I had gone away, him and another buddy that we used to rap with named Hayes had started like they kind of put together this cd they like set up a booth in hayes's bedroom and recorded this cd in his bedroom and the quality is not very good it's not but the songs were great but a lot of the beats were over top of like industry beats or like beats that they just found on the internet or whatever because they didn't have any you know they didn't have working with what you got at that point for real dude for real which is kind of punk rock in a way it had that real DIY yeah. ethos to it, man. Yeah. It really did. By any means necessary. They were, just fuck and, it. We got to do it. And you know what? That's really what the whole, our whole shit, Priceless Recordings, I mean, that was it. That was it. Me and Basic were working on a song called Do It Yourself, because for real, that's that's like, we were just like, dude, it's so, we had to grab the bowl by the horns, you know? Uh-huh. But uh, whenever I was in Iraq, I was making a bunch of money, and I had bought Chubb's uh, MP. And it was for, like, the 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 group. It was for, like, you know, because I believed in him. I believed in his beats. And I believed that if we had our own beats and we had a little bit better recording studio set up, that we could put together something that people would want to listen to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, while I was away, they made all kinds of beats. They'd send me beats while I was in Iraq. I'd, I'd be rapping. I actually... They actually sent me a microphone, and I was like recording verses over there, but it, it didn't. That 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 stuff didn't pan out too well. It was a little too. It was a little too hectic for all that. You tried. It was war war zone. <laughs> like you know? sounds in the background and yeah, shit. It wasn't 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 ideal. But uh, whenever I came home though, I was like, "Fuck it, dude, let's do it." I had all this money and all this time, and was just like, "Let's fucking do it." So I started, you know online trying to get shit together trying to you know see what's out there like meet people network people and at the time i was making t-shirts it's important to note i was hand painting t-shirts okay those were my two hustles i was hand painting t-shirts and i was trying to make music how did you get into doing the like the early shirt printing stuff well whenever i was in high school i learned how to screen print it was my favorite class of all time and i like learned so much from this dude mr walcheski carrick high school what up shout out (laughs) he's over at alderdice now though so if anybody's younger brothers or sisters go there or if you happen to be from alderdice and you go there tell mr walcheski that joe mert says what's up and i'm doing okay (laughs) Uh, word but uh I started hand painting t-shirts. There was this company called Mesquine and they were so sick and the shit they were doing was so sick. And I had like kind of started doing it around the same time that they were like blowing up. And, uh, I used to go over to time bomb and would like hand paint custom t-shirts for people. They'd come in like, Oh, do like a RIP this RIP that. Cause over the years I'd become friends with brick at time bomb. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he'd let me like come over there and would like school me on some stuff. And, uh, so when I went away, I was hand painting t-shirts and making music. When I came home, I was hand painting t-shirts and these guys were making music. I didn't really even want to make music. I rapped a little, I had a little couple verses, but I was like, I'm just trying to make t-shirts. You know, this is where I really feel like it's going somewhere. But 
scale of production, understanding business, you know, these things I didn't really know. So I like blew my load on material in the first place and like bought all this shit to make the t-shirts with, but didn't have any money then for like promo or like marketing or like packaging or, you know, any sort of like professional anything. I mean, it was just so, so thrown together. DIY, just like everything. Yeah. Uh, and I was making t-shirts and on MySpace, this uh, girl named Karin, Karin Turpak, Karin Elise, she had a company called Soul Cajun and uh, she reached out to me and said, hey, I'm, I'm having a fashion show at Mr. Smalls. I like your stuff. It's hand painted. It's cool. It's funky. You know, would you like to put some stuff in this show? So I'm like, oh, that's awesome. When's the date? She tells me the date. I'm like, oh, that's. I have this rap crew and we have a show that night, you know, so it was Price's Recordings first show at the H-Con. It was our first <laughs> concert. Okay? Nice. Okay. So I'm like, oh, I, I can't do it. She was like, look, just bring me the shirts. I'll put them in the show. And then, uh, you know, everything will be, everything will be cool. They'll just be in the show. You'll have the pictures. Don't worry about it. Perfect. So we go to the show. We're getting ready. In Walks Basic Sickness, he had just performed at this Soul Cajun fashion show. So he had seen the shirts that I had made and was like, oh, what, you know, kind of like, what's up with these? You know, like, what's, who's this dude? What's this about? You know? And then he came to the show and like all of our whole crew was wearing shirts that we made, you know, and he's like, holy shit. I just seen these shows in this fa these shirts in this fashion show da da da, and that was like oh wow what a small Pittsburgh and and from there is where the HCon started like because we did a great show that night and he was like oh you guys should come back it was like the second time he ever even did one down there so it was like was it even going to be a thing he didn't know you perfect know perfect storm again just yeah <laughs> right ready dude and uh, and we started doing shows like. I mean, after that point, we started doing shows like damn there every weekend down there. You know, we we would get sometimes we go down and just like bully like if other people like were performing, but there wasn't really like a big crowd. We'd like come down with a big crowd all drunk as hell from one of the local bars down there. <laughs> like, well, we're just trying to get on the mic for a few jams. Like, let, let, let us throw us in between there. You know, we'd bully just, our way in because we'd come with a crew. You know, a bunch of girls dancing and stuff. You know, like, but. Looking back on that period of rapping and stuff, and we had it was an all, it was an all ages club, you know, it was eighteen and over, so high school kids were able to come. It was wonderful, and looking back on it, I will say that I don't really have any regrets, except for, and I, let's not call it a regret, but if I could go back in time, yeah, I might do things differently, because while I had the attention of all those high school kids. And, uh, you know, every show were, was, like, just getting more and more people. And uh, every time we performed, the message was about this party. It was, like, this endless party. You know, like, getting fucking drunk, smoking weed, sniffing coke, fucking girls. You know, like, the kind of typical mid-millennium rap music. Yeah, sure. But we were never that. Right, we were never the typical rap, so why did we go there? Well, we went there because that that's seemed what to be what people yeah. were into. Yeah, 
Now, looking back on it, I think that we could have kept our integrity and promoted a better image, promoted a healthier image, a more loving image, a more self-loving image, like less about getting fucked up and about like just being wasted and like who could be wasted the best type <laughs> shit. Sure. You know, maybe it would have had a, a, a greater impact with our fan base, you know, because now some people that were in high school at the time, they're not really doing so good now, you know, or they were like right out of high school at the time. And I, I don't want to say I'm the reason for this because everyone makes their own path. But, you know, it's sad to me to see some of our people that I considered fans that I considered friends like fucked up on drugs or like spending all their time at a bar, like just getting wasted. It's I've learned that the message is so much broader than that. It's that's so that's such a tiny little thing that's like so insignificant in anyone's life, but it's so glorified by artists. It's it's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, and we opened up for Paul Wall and uh after a run of like two, three years towards the end, like two thousand eight, towards the end of the H Con, we were packing that place, we were packing other venues and uh we finally got a shot to open up for a, for a, like a national recording artist. Paul Wall came through the racks. We opened. We had to sell a bunch of tickets. We sold a shit ton. We sold more than anybody that opened for Paul Wall, I will just say. <laughs> Not to throw shade, but there was one dude that was like, ah, I sold more, but for real, he didn't. He just was friends with the promoter, and that's why he got to open up right before Paul Wall. But really, we should have. But that's <laughs> literally water under the bridge like six years ago or whatever. But then at the after party, uh, a fight broke out and somebody got stabbed and murdered. And uh, it was like, that was the moment I was like, oh, shit. You know, if the message that I'm promoting, if this party that I'm promoting, if this, if people think that, that I'm promoting the type of image and the type of party where something like this is cool the, yeah, yeah. Or, or the answer or yeah. acceptable by any stretch of the imagination then I'm obviously putting out a wrong app message. So I was like, I'm done. I'm done rapping. I'm done. It was after that I was done. And a couple of the other guys like wanted me to keep, you know, to keep it together. And I was like, look, you guys can do whatever you want. But every time I'm out here representing Priceless, I'm going to think about this night. Every time I'm out here representing Priceless and saying how fun our parties are to people, I'm going to remember that somebody got fucking killed at one, dude. It's not fun anymore. It's not fun. And, uh, you know, uh, man. So you stopped rapping and then, uh, I know that's probably around the time the shirt shit started to pick up with you, right? Cause you, um, you started screen printing. I remember that was like, I remember it's like, once you kind of stopped, I hadn't heard from you for a while. Yeah. And I then like you just kind of, dude. I, I kind of disappeared yeah. into the bottle for real. I will say. Okay. That period after, I mean, I was drinking, when I came in from Iraq, I was drinking a lot. I mean, a lot. But that period after, um, after Priceless ended, I, uh, you know, and, and rest in peace and blessings to the Paiso family, uh, I'll just say, I, 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 not a day goes by that I don't, I don't think about that and, and understand how it's, a, how, that party and the murder affected, you know, so many people 
so uh, intensely, and and my heart goes out to to everyone that's uh, everyone that ever knew John. So just wanted to interject with that. I got you. Um, after that, I started drinking a lot more, and was really like, I had a girlfriend, and it wasn't really going that good. So instead of like dealing with it, I just drank more. We fought more, which would lead more drinking, and you know, just I really I wasn't doing anything. I was like just going to work, and I almost got fired like every week. I almost got fired for coming into work fucked up or like fucking something up or like just being a fuck up, being late. Like I mean, just I I I just I I'd, I'd given up for real. I I. I it was like everything that I'd done in my life up till that point kind of like didn't matter anymore or like I didn't think it mattered and I couldn't find like, I just couldn't find anything. I couldn't find the light, bro. <laughs> For real. Yeah. I couldn't find the light. And then uh, my girlfriend was like, oh, well, uh, you you should go back to school. And I'm like, for what? You know, for what? Fuck school. What What could I possibly, you know, I'm not doing it. And she's like, well, you said you wanted to open a screen printing company before. You said you always wanted to do that, so why not do that? You know, go to school, learn how to run a business, get a degree, get a fucking loan, open a business. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. You know, I, I guess I'll, I guess I'll, I guess I'll go, I'll do it, you know? A couple weeks passed, I didn't do shit. And then she's like, look, I called. We have an appointment tomorrow at the Bradford School. So she was, like, really adamant about me going here. Dang. All right. She called. She set up an appointment, you know? Yeah. So, so I went down, was, like, met the financial aid person or whatever. And now I'm, like, 25 or 26 years old at this time, you know? I mean, I'm, like, almost a decade older than most people that are applying to go to the school <laughs> at the Bradford School. <laughs> and the woman that was... You know, the, the financial aid person, the entrance person, I'm pretty sure she was, like, just, like, my age. Or like, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she was, like, really hot, and we were definitely flirting. My girlfriend at the time, you know, she set all this up. She was, like, looking at me like, I can't believe you're doing this. But I'm, like, I'm trying to get a good rate, you know? <laughs> it's the financial aid office. Yeah. Like, you know, whenever I went to Cal U, that woman was, like, 90. Yeah. So that wasn't <laughs> happening, you know? I might be able to make something happen here. Yeah. I was just joking, of course, but I don't know, man. She fucked up. That woman fucked up because I went. I was in the military. They were supposed to pay for school, but the Bradford School never had a veteran go to school there, so they had no idea how to do the paperwork. They had no idea how to huh. do, you know, how to even deal with it. That's, so they're like, we don't know, you know, we don't know. And I'm like, well, look, man, just like they just call them, dude. It's paid for. It. So I signed up. Off that. I mean, it was really, like, loosely. It was real loose. Fast and loose. That's how I got in there. Yeah. You know? So I go to the school, and all the teachers. I'm, like, damn near as old as all the teachers. You know, they're just a few years older than me. All the classes, easy as fuck. I mean, I could have I not went to school and graduated with an A. I could have not even went to hardly any class and graduated. It was so easy. And, you know, it was just really fun. Met a lot of great people. <clears throat> the Bradford School did nothing to try to get me a job. Well, mainly because I said I don't even need it. I'm, I'm, I know what I'm doing. I'm opening a business after this. But they didn't really help any of my friends that graduated get jobs. 
you know, maybe like manager, maybe like manager positions, but like nothing really much higher than that. And it's like, it just, it all seems like a bullshit to me. But on my graduation day from the Bradford school, I had like a 4.0, missed like two days. You know, I did really good. Took it so much more quote unquote seriously than high school. And, uh, the day of graduation, the the financial aid officer, officer was like, hey, uh, you got to sign this paper. And I'm like, what is it? And she was like, well, it's a promissory note saying that after you graduate, you know, it's going to be you have a six-month grace period, and then you'll start making the payments on your student loans. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, I'm not, though, is the thing, because I joined the military. I went to war. I'm not paying for this shit. She's like, well... Sign the, sign it now so you can graduate. Otherwise, we can't let you walk across the stage. Oh, think about all your hard work. You've got an A. You're graduating at the top of the class. You won't be able to walk across the stage. Your family's here, you know. All that bullshit. And you know what? I fucking bought it, dude. I bought it. I should have took the paper, crumpled it up, threw it her in the face, threw it, hit her in the face with it, walked out the door and gave her the finger on the way out. You know, that's really what I should have done. But I was like, well, you know, my my dad was coming down, and he's he lives in Washington County, so it was like kind of a drive for him to come into the city, you know. Yeah. And I I I've been striving my whole life for my dad to be proud of me, so I saw this as an opportunity that maybe he would be. And sure, he was, you know. But now I owe the government like a, like eleven thousand dollars. <laughs> for that pride but they aren't getting shit from me and i don't care i'm on record saying it. i've been saying it a million times over i i signed papers saying i was going to the military to fight in a war to pay for college i'm not paying a cent they could come get me they can come arrest me they can do whatever they want but i'm not giving them shit i already i already signed a contract with my life on the line they are not getting a fucking cent sure Fuck that. <laughs> it was all because there was a paperwork snafu. There was a paperwork snafu, and now I owe money. Fuck that. But um, so the day I graduated, I signed a lease for this warehouse in Carrick on 51. And that's, I didn't even have equipment. You know, I didn't even have screen printing equipment. I just signed the lease. DIY again. Yeah, dude, for real, just jump, just dive straight in. Yeah. So I, uh, I had the warehouse, I had no equipment, I had a little bit of money, but not much, and the rent at that place started coming, you know, and I'm like, okay, I have no way to make money because I don't have any equipment, the rent keeps coming, I'm doing business plans, I'm trying to get a loan, no, I got this degree, and no one will give me a loan still. I'm going to bank after bank after bank after bank, no one will give me a loan. Uh, They make it so fucking hard. And I'm like, it's what, unreal. What did I go? What did I get this diploma for? Yeah, I thought that was needed here. No, no, it wasn't. So I ended up having to go to the streets and got somebody to give me a loan, and uh, he wanted to be my business partner, and I was happy about that. It was I was happy to have a business partner. You know, I wanted to focus on making the T-shirts. I wanted somebody else to focus on the paperwork. Very simple. He didn't get that memo. I was really upfront about it, you know. We 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 wrote a contract and everything, but he just just didn't just 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 didn't get it, you know. He just couldn't do it, and so I ended up buying him out. And I was by myself again, and uh, had some employees, 
Should've... I mean, it got off the ground eventually, right? Dude, the whole thing. Well, this this partner loaned me the money and became my partner. We bought the equipment. Yeah. We started rolling. I mean, once the equipment came in, it was like, dude, once we were open for business, there was no stopping it. I mean, it was like, it was crazy as hell, for real. The amount of business with, like, little advertising. Well, you mean, the I, I remember where the spot was at, and, like, you just had, like, the signs up in the window, like, hey, we make shirts. Think how many fucking people drive past there a day. Like, that location was key it was a pretty good one it was a, pre- it was a pretty it was pretty visible oh yeah you know the big windows too uh-huh. people sitting in traffic got nothing to do but look around yeah but you know i i had to focus so much on the work on actually making the t-shirts you know doing the design a lot of times i'd find myself meeting the customers doing the design work printing out the acetate burning the screens Taping the screens, ordering the shirts, picking up the shirts, picking up the ink after ordering and ordering supplies, printing the t-shirts, cleaning the screens, packing them up, meeting the customers, taking the money to the bank. You know, I mean, a lot of times I was handling every single aspect of the entire operation. Now, I had some employees and all of my employees were great at points. But some employees were great for a long period of time. Some employees were great at short bursts. Some employees were just terrible from the fucking jump, and I never should have even had them in the door. You know, and some employees I I didn't appreciate enough, and they left on their own. They were great all the time, and I put too much on them without giving them anything, you know, really substantial in the company. Yeah, and uh, you know, and that that pissed a couple people off, and they left. And my good employees, I I chased off, and my bad employees, I didn't fucking want. So it ended up being just me in there, and uh, you know, and l- let me just say, everyone that worked for me, I appreciate, I appreciate everybody that ever worked for me, and if you think you were a terrible employee of mine, then you probably were. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Because m- most of my employees, they weren't ter- they weren't even terrible employees, and no, not one of them is a terrible person. Yeah. Okay. But working for friends is really difficult. I hired almost all my friends. Yeah, you get yeah working for friends is hard, and also working in that sort of environment where it's like, oh, this is kind of cool, laid back. We can listen to what music we want. I could wear what I want, but it's still like you still have shit to do. You got to get it done on time. Well, there's like, still like ethic. Yeah. And, like, I'm okay with medication. You know, I get that. And some dudes, it was like, it was like I just paid them to come to work and medicate. Yeah. You know, like, I I don't got time for this, dude. I don't got money for this. So, we, uh, we got, I got reached out to by Natalia Rudiak, who's, uh, the city councilwoman from District 4, which is, like, that, our district up there. And, uh... Is it District 4 District 3? I don't fucking know. Natalia Rudiak, that's my homegirl. She's a city councilwoman for me. She's from Carrick, went to Carrick High School, lives on Brownsville Road. Well, they started this thing called the, uh, they started this thing called the uh, Carrick Dairy District. And what it is, is uh, like the Coulter on Dairy is the last dairy within the city of Pittsburgh. So Coulter put up a bunch of money to invest in the neighborhood. 
and the city matched the pro the, the state actually matched the Coltrion's investment. So there's like a ton of money up there getting invested to build uh this like little business district around the Coltrion dairy. So there's a farmers market like stall thing that they that they built now that was in an abandoned lot or they tore down like an abandoned building. Yeah. Put this like really nice like concrete uh you know pad for with like an overhang so that there could be like farmers market like every day. Yeah. Like people coming with fruits and vegetables and flowers and stuff every day. And they're gonna do like all kind of different events there. And they already plan on doing, like, festivals there and, like, having bands and stuff, blocking off the one side street and everything. And then all along that, like, the next, like, block is a bunch of businesses that um, they're abandoned now, but they want businesses in there for this dairy district. So Councilwoman Rudiak reached out to me to see if I'd be want to be involved with Boots Printing Company because she knows that I'm from Carrick. My business is in Carrick, and, uh, you know, she knew that I was, like, really trying to stay in Carrick and help the neighborhood, and so I was like, okay, I, I'll move into this place. The rent was so good, and they were giving me all kinds of incentives. It was, the space was, like, big as hell, perfect, and, I, but I had to get an automatic press. I had to get a bigger press, because if I was going to be the one doing all the work, then I needed to take, like, the physical work off of me. Because I'd gotten diagnosed with multiple sclerosis yeah. during this, you know, while I had the screen printing company and there was like employee discord, I was doing a lot of work and I got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So in order to keep the business going, whether I had good employees or bad employees, I knew that I needed some way to automate the process to make it less physically demanding on me so that I could output more at a higher percentage and uh less you know taxing on my body yeah simple i mean it's business yeah i had an investor that didn't want to be my partner he just wanted to invest a business plan was drawn out we had equipment i mean it was picked out i mean we were like ready to rock on this but the dairy district wasn't ready for us and they kept pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back and i and i was like being kind of pushy at these meetings i was kind of being an asshole like Hey, look, if I don't get in something soon, I'm going to lose my business, you know? So can we like, you know, what's the hold up? How can we do this? What do we got to do? I was being real pushy. It didn't end up happening. They didn't give in to my pushiness and I did end up losing the business. So, you know, I wasn't lying about that being the result, but it was the result. And I almost feel like it's the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. It's hot as fuck in a screen printing shop <laughs> oh, in the yeah. summer, dude. <laughs> yeah, I know I know how that goes. I've done that shit. <laughs> so, I mean, like, how long ago was that then that uh, the boots printing kind of went up? 2000, uh, January of 2015, I received my last paycheck. Okay. And and it was only for, like, a few hours. I mean, I didn't have, like, enough money to even cover my full paychecks at the end there. So, but that, that, was, the, that was the end of it. And uh, we stopped taking jobs, you know. I mean, before that even, like, December 2014, we, we were done. 
So it's been like a year and a half now at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the, yeah, I guess the end of this year would be two years. We'd be done. Yeah. You want to go by like a December. Uh, yeah. So, and I ended up selling all my equipment to the best employee that I had who I didn't appreciate, who really gave me like 110% for a long time. I didn't really appreciate that like I should have. I mean, I thought that I was being appreciative, but like hindsight is twenty twenty, and I see that there was much, much more I could have done for this guy. So, But he I, bought all your shit? He bought all my equipment. I gave him a really, really good deal on it. I mean, like, you see, because I'd been so unappreciative towards him, I was selling the equipment for a certain amount of money. But since he was buying it, I sold it to him for another amount of money that was a pretty good deal less than if anyone else had bought Just it. Just as like a thank you or something well, like that. You know that. what? Because, dude, I'd really felt, yeah, exactly like that. You know, because I'd really felt, I'd really felt fucked up about it. You know, and it's like, I don't have anything. So, any, you know, anything I could do, I did. I've, and, and we're totally cool, him and I. And uh, his print shop is called Public Print House, and it's over in Wilkinsburg, like Point Breeze area. It's in the uh, what's the name of that? You know what the name of that warehouse is? It's like nah. the Fun Factory or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Public Print House, and you know, Jules and them are just doing. They're doing great over there. They they picked up right where we left off. And, yeah, I know, and, I know a few of the people that are over there. Oh, cool, yeah. cool, nice. Oh, you do you because you play shows probably with with Brent. Yep. Yeah, I figured. I know Nick Brewer too. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, nice man. Yeah, those are uh, they're all they're all some great guys. Again, that's small city Pittsburgh shit, right? <laughs> it is, it is, dude. It, yeah. really, it really is, man. Hey, if you don't know me, you probably know my brother. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know that it's funny because uh, things have been getting kind of things were getting a little tight for me a couple months ago, and I went to Jules like, hey, uh, do you, you guys, uh, you guys need any any help? Uh, you guys looking to hire somebody? <laughs> But uh, he he had just hired some people, and I sold some paintings the next day, so I didn't really I didn't need to worry about cool. it. So know? like that's what you've been so in the past, like close to two years now since you gave up the business or the business got got the what, better of me. Yeah, I got the better of you. We could say um, you've been painting. You you told me earlier you were traveling a bit mm-hmm. and just kind of taking it easy, finer things of life type of thing. <sighs> yeah, yep, you could say that. You yeah. could say that. I, uh, you know, when I got diagnosed with MS, I was devastated. You know, my business, like working, working hard, that had become like my identity. And I felt like without it, I was like, you know, not only had I been diagnosed with a disease that I was really unfamiliar with, and the doctors are telling me, you know, oh, you could be paralyzed, you know, like, uh, you know, you, you could lose your eyesight, you lose your memory, like all this shit. I'm like, what? Crazy, dude. I'm, you know, 28 years old. Like, what? I can't believe this. So that devastation turned into just, just, you know, the best thing, the best thing. Seriously, it was a blessing. Getting diagnosed with MS has been a blessing. Because I had stopped drinking. Right before I got diagnosed, I'd stopped drinking. Because <clears throat> I was dating a girl who was kind of young, I mean, younger than me. Hadn't really 
been around like alcoholics very much. <laughs> yeah. Hadn't really like been around people that like get violent when they get drunk, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and get mean. She this was like really new territory for her. And the look on her face of just like fear and like like just un unwarranted fear and like almost like uh pain. You know, like I was hurting this girl and it was the first time that I that my drunken outburst like I saw them affect somebody you know I saw her face change I saw her whole demeanor change and it was almost like I could feel feel how badly I was hurting her but I wasn't even doing anything to her you know so at first I'm all drunk like I'm not even doing anything to you what the fuck you know quit fucking crying you know yeah and then it's like getting worse that's that's the wrong approach way wrong dude (laughs) (laughs) way way wrong dude Uh, FYI, if you're ever in a fight with your girlfriend and she starts crying, don't ever tell her to stop fucking crying. <laughs> yes, that's great advice. Just, just, I don't care what she's crying about. Don't tell her to stop. <laughs> Let it happen. Yeah. But uh, so I'd stop drinking. Anyway, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm done drinking. I'm feeling better. You know, I'm not feeling like a drunk. I'm not feeling like so cloudy and so mad all the time. I was still a little bit mad, you know, but. You know, I, I was doing good. That's what I thought. And then uh, and then when I got diagnosed with MS, I told my doctors, I'm like, I was an alcoholic. I quit drinking, you know, months ago. And they're like, oh, well, that's why this happened. You, you, the, when you drink, the symptoms for MS are like you're drunk. You're, you lose your balance. You can't really talk. Your vision starts getting blurry. Your head starts getting cloudy. You know, you start, like, losing control of your, like, arms and hands and stuff. I mean, it's like you're drunk. Yeah. So they said that because I'd stopped drinking for long enough, at like a month or two, my body was able to send me signals loud enough for me to hear, let's say. Because when I was drunk, I wasn't getting any of them. It was sending me all these signals, and I was like, well, I'm drunk, so of course I can't walk. I'm drunk, so of course my vision's getting fucked up. I'm drunk, of course I can't talk. Of course I'm slurring my speech. Because people be like, man, I can't understand you. You're slurring. I'm like, I'm drunk. What do you think? Yeah. No, but it wasn't that, though. It was it was something else. So, you know, I uh, when I was in the hospital bed, <clears throat> a friend of mine came that I'd started doing yoga with, and she brought me this book called A Path of the Warrior, Shambhala. A Path of Warriorship is what it was called. And uh, by Chogyang Trungpa. And this book, man, I'm telling you what. It it changed the perspective of how I was looking at my situation. I was real down on myself. I was real, you know, you deserve this. You know, you, you're a terrible person. No one likes you. No one wants to be with you. you everyone hates you. You hate yourself. You know, it was real down, 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 down. I could not, I could not see the light, okay? But this book kind of started, started shedding some light on some things, man. Because <laughs> it flipped it around and was like, you're not, nothing's wrong with you, though. And I'm like, I have MS, I'm, you know, and I read further and it's like, but can you talk? Can you see? Can you walk? Do you have your hands? Do you have your fingers? 
then you're fine. There might be some stuff quote-unquote wrong, but generally, you are perfect just the way you are. And it was like, damn. I do have it better off than a lot of people. Yeah. I am a lot more perfect, quote-unquote, than a lot of people. It started kind of giving me a little compassion a little, you know, that sure. there's people worse than me, you know, and if you have these things, stop fucking complaining. You mm-hmm. sound like a bitch. Yeah, and there's even people that have it worse but still make shit happen. It's like, you know, there's, I say this all the fucking time when people want to complain about shit or talk about how they can't get something done. I'm like, there's people without legs in the Olympics. For real. For and you're going to tell me you can't fucking do this or that. Yeah, yeah. Get you, the you, fuck you, out of here. You can't walk down the street because yeah. <laughs> your, your legs hurt, your back hurts. Yeah. Shut the it's fuck up. It's like if you up. want something to happen, you can make it happen. Yeah. It's just that's it. some dude. people just don't have that drive or that passion or that insight. Well, you know what? And I didn't. Yeah. A, a, lot of, a lot of people don't because it's it's not something we're we're not – we're like almost like – in this society, you said it earlier, the social media, the fast pace, the instant gratification, everyone just Don't wants want to a pill. work for something. Yeah. I'm feeling bad. Give me a pill. I'm sick. Give me a pill. Oh, I'm really sick. Give me a shot. Oh, I really don't feel good. Institute me and give me pills every day for the next week. I want to talk to somebody every day. But the talking is only just trying to give you what kind of figure out what kind of pills to give you. <clears throat> so. I figured out, I started looking at my whole situation differently. You know, I I have uh, some PTSD issues and multiple sclerosis. And I had been thinking about myself like a victim. This book, Shambhala, The Path of the Warrior, taught me that to look at it instead of it like like you're the victim, but but that you're the warrior. So, sure, these things are being put in front of you. Sure, these things are terrible. Sure, they're difficult. Sure, they look impossible. But they're not because nothing is. Nothing lasts forever. You just have to pick yourself up, figure out what works to find the inner strength to pick yourself up and over these obstacles. Yeah. And, you know, I've learned a lot since that day, (laughs) you know. (laughs) But that was like the starting, that was like the root of my healing. You know, that was the root of me taking control of my life and, and, and saying I'm not a victim anymore. I'm I'm living my life the way I want to. Sure, I'm disabled, but I'm doing what I want to do and on my terms. And like everybody should do that. It's fucking wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so like wrapping up. I don't know. It seems like, like I said before, you're just someone that's lived multiple lives and well, I'm sure multiple more to go. Well, like, what know, do you think's next? Like, you got anything on the horizon that you want to try to do or you just riding yeah. it out? Well, you know, I, I, it's interesting. It's interesting uh, that you should ask. I've been really like, really like flying around, dude. I Like, I, I just had no, I, I wasn't very grounded in the past two years, you know. Part of this, part of since I closed the shop has been me able to travel around, meet people, learn a bunch of things, learn a bunch of new things, experience new things that that trigger growth and trigger different learning and stuff. And uh, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. You know, I've been traveling and vending paintings 
you know, I'd go to different, like, art festivals and set up my tent and sell my paintings. Sometimes I do really good. Sometimes it's really terrible, you know. I, I'm an artist now. The pay sucks, but the hours are great, and the vacation time is incredible. <laughs> uh, so I just kind of was like, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do this forever, you know, because you can. Sure, you can, but it's a lot of work. And you know you're carrying around all this stuff, and you got you know it's just too much. I'm I'm I I can't do it. It's it's all it's it's gonna be the screen printing company for me. Same thing, just logging around all this stuff, doing all this stuff. I'm just gonna get pissed off. Not gonna be able to do the work. Not gonna be able to physically do it. And then that's gonna really upset me, and it's gonna trigger this whole thing. So I can't do that. This dairy district, they okay. just had the ribbon cutting ceremony like last week. So this was like two years ago. I was trying to tell them, I got to get in there. I got to get in there. I'm going to lose my business. It's been two years. They just are now breaking ground pretty much. Okay. So, but I talked to them up there and talked to some other friends and we're going to open the first art gallery ever in Carrick. Okay. And it's going to be a collective. There's going to be a, you know, like four or five local artists from like the Carrick Baldwin area. And uh, I only say Baldwin because one artist is from Baldwin, but he lives in Carrick now. So, you know, he's from Carrick. We met at Carrick Little League, man. He's from Carrick. (laughs) So the artists, though, at this gallery will be all artists from Carrick. It's in this neighborhood in Carrick. And we're going to do events. And, you know, it's going to be just like every other art gallery in history. We're going to showcase artwork. And we're going to have events. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And there's going to be a lot of, like, good energy there. Yeah, just some of that culture in that area it needs it it needs it the fact that there hasn't ever been an art gallery up there is disgusting to me to be honest with you but it makes sense because it just wasn't that kind of that's the thing it's funny it's like areas like that are where some of the most talented people come from too yeah because there's no outlet for it and it just like builds wow that's really interesting you know yeah yeah i i (laughs) i'd kind of agree dude yeah you know the the greatest artists that new york city recognizes are not from new york city Fuck no uh actually a couple of them are from pennsylvania (laughs) (laughs) true story (laughs) so that's awesome is there any sort of uh anything else you can say about that right now any sort of projection thing just we're still starting to get together in the talks and you know what the way that it went last time I'm I'm not even beginning to put a date out there because it's just something that like whenever you have like a bunch of organizations and a bunch of like funding and like it has to fit their plan and it has to fit their schedule, you know. So I, I put the idea out there to them and I they're not going to have another gallery without me. You know, they're not going to move forward on my idea without me. So I'm pretty I feel pretty confident about that. So I'm just okay with it, like just ruminating and kind of like organically. You're not in a rush. From here. I'm not, not even close because uh, the Grateful Dead is starting. Well, they've been on tour, Dead and Company, with John Mayer. And if anybody hasn't checked them out, I oh my god, I strongly suggest. But I'm starting my Dead tour tomorrow in okay. Detroit. They're playing in Detroit, so I'm gonna drive there, see them, camp out, and. Head back to Pittsburgh. I can't go to the Minneapolis shows. There's like one or two shows in between there and Pittsburgh. But I, I have some things I got to take care of here. So they're going to be playing Pittsburgh on the 13th and then Boston on the 15th and 16th. And I already got my tickets for the 16th. 
I need a miracle for the fifteenth. So if anybody's out there listening and you got an extra Grateful Dead ticket <laughs> for the Boston Fenway Park show on the fifteenth, <laughs> let me know what's good. Because for real, I'm a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, so you know, as long as the dead are torn, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep going to see them. I'm not really as interested in like vending at these shows or anything like that. But on Shakedown Street, I, I'll always have my buttons. I make like watercolor buttons. I do watercolor paintings, and then I cut them out and make buttons out of each. Oh, one. that's really cool. So it's like you know, I sell them for a dollar. Or if we're having a really awesome exchange, I'll probably just give you one. So yeah, you know, look out for me on the lot, gang. <laughs> Joe Boots, man. I got fucking Jim Morrison hair and a tie dye dashiki. <laughs> I'm sure you'll. I'm sure you won't be blending in with too yeah. many people there. <laughs> I just described everybody on the damn lot. <laughs> well, shit, dude. Thanks for coming over. It was awesome catching yeah, thanks, up, man. Really, I'm gl- glad to glad to be on here, dude. You rule, man. Keep up the great work, dude. I, I love that you're doing this, and, you know, and you're still performing. You got your hands in music. You're still doing shows, and you yeah. do. Well, you do art still too. I've been slowly getting back into drawing, find, trying to make the time for it. Everybody get on this dude and tell him to find the time <laughs> to draw because he's fucking sick. If you think his music's good, which it is, his fucking art is really sick, dude. This dude's a creative genius. Thank you, man. I appreciate right that. On. And again, I appreciate you coming over. So Thanks, Sykes. Thanks hey, for man. having me, man. Peace, bro. And that is all, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Fucking Joe Boots, man. What a dude. What an awesome guy. You know, I wish him nothing but the best with all of his future endeavors. Good health. Good fortune. Just nothing but positive vibes for that human. For sure. I'll be back again next week with another new episode. Same time. Same place. Same channel. You know the drill. My name is Sykes. Start the beat. 2016. Whoop. Woo. Thanks for listening.